the book of Psalms speaks to every season of life. Within the book of Psalms, we can find songs of the joyful. We find the ballads of the weary. We find the dirges of the grieving, the praises of the grateful, the choruses of the faithful, the aria of the lonely, the blues of the forsaken. In, in the book of Psalms, we find a song to sing for every season of life. And so I want us to begin this morning a series called Psalms for All Seasons. We're going to look at some of the great psalms that speak to different seasons in our lives. Psalms is the largest book in the Bible, 150 chapters. And we are not going to walk through the book a chapter each Sunday. We're just going to cover all 150 this morning. The Psalms, uh, 150 songs that were put into a hymnal. Uh, that's what makes the book of Psalms a little bit different from the other books of, of the Bible. It is the ancient Jewish hymnal, the, the Psalter. It's, it's where they went to find the songs to sing when they worshiped together or when they worshiped alone, but this is where the songs were written. Uh, it, somewhere around eight different authors. It's hard to know for sure how many people wrote songs because some of them uh, were anonymous. We don't know who wrote them, but uh, probably around eight different people. Clearly, David wrote most of them, but not all of them. And those songs that are now collected for us in the book of Psalms uh, covered like a thousand years. The oldest psalm to the newest psalm is around a thousand years. It's pretty amazing how God led the right people at the right times to collect these songs for us. And so this morning I want us to begin this Psalms for All Seasons. I want us to begin in Psalm 1. You you saw Psalm 1 presented for us earlier in worship. Uh, it was read to us via video, but I want us to look at it again. If you have your copy of Scripture, join me at the first Psalm this morning. And let me say to you as well that Psalm 1 is so rich and so deep and so full that we really could do a whole six weeks series just on that one psalm. But we're going to try to get it all done in one sermon. So because of that, I'm going to stay closer to my notes than normal, and I'm going to talk a little faster than normal, so you buckle up and be ready to listen fast, okay? Psalm 1 is the introduction to the hymn book. We don't know for sure who wrote Psalm 1, but it introduces the whole book. 
And you're going to see in, as we go through that there are some ways in which Psalm 1 is similar to the series that we just completed on the Sermon on the Mount. Psalm 1 is similar to the Sermon on the Mount in some very interesting ways, uh, not the least of which is Psalm 1 basically presents uh, the idea of contrast. There is this and there is that and you must choose. It's basically what the Sermon on the Mount did. Remember on the Sermon on the Mount, there is a narrow gate and a wide gate, a, a narrow way and a broad path. There were uh, two trees. There, uh, there, there, were, there were two uh, houses that were built on two different foundations. And, and Jesus said over and over again, you have heard it said this, but I say that. The Sermon on the Mount was full of contrasts, and we're going to see that this morning in Psalm 1 as well. And you remember that the Sermon on the Mount, is the introduction to the Sermon on the Mount was what we call the Beatitudes, right? So what is the very first word in the Sermon on the Mount? Blessed. What is the very first word in Psalm 1? Blessed. There's a reason for that. The introduction of both, the Psalm 1 and the Sermon on the Mount, says here is how to have a meaningful life. The word blessed or blessed means happy. Here is how to have a happy, fulfilled life meaningful life. In, in this case, in Psalm 1, this word for happy is actually plural. And so it, it's, it's like it was saying, blessedness is, is <laughs> unto the person. Happy, but it's plural. It, it's kind of like Phil Robertson would say, happy, happy, happy. How many of you know who Phil Robertson is? All right, these are my people. Happy, happy, happy is the person who walks, in the, who walks not in the counsel of the wicked, and it continues from there. Now, you'll notice as well that your translation probably uses the word man. Blessed is the man. Don't get hung up on gender stuff. They didn't. In Hebrew, that word means person, but it is a masculine, it's written in a masculine um, uh, word, the Hebrew has either masculine or feminine nouns, and so this means person, but since it's written in a masculine uh, noun, when it gets translated into English, it shows up as man, but the intent of the author and the understanding of everyone who sang this song back in that day was person, man in that generic sense. So it says, blessed, happy, happy, happy is the person. And then we're going to listen as we learn from Psalm 1 how to experience that happiness, that fulfillment. In order for us to do that, we need to first of all learn what happy people avoid. You know, one of the best ways to, to, uh, to learn happiness is learn what to say yes to and what to say no one of the best ways to, to find joy in life is learning what to reject, what to avoid. 
And that's what we find at the very beginning of this great psalm. What happy people avoid. Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the wicked, nor stands in the way of sinners, nor sits in the seat of scoffers. In that verse, we see three things that we want to avoid. Happy people avoid these three things. He says, blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the wicked. The word walk in Scripture almost always refers to life, to living. You walk, we we even use it that way sometimes when we say so-and-so talks the talk and they walk the walk. We mean they live that kind of life. That's the way the word is used here. Blessed is the man who does not walk based on the advice of worldly people. Walks not in the counsel of the wicked. I have seen more than once very complicated, very difficult, hard times that were caused by good people following bad advice. Good people, but they trusted, they followed the advice of the wrong person. And so we want to learn very carefully, how can we know, how can we be sure that we're following good advice? Blessed is the man who does not walk in the counsel of worldly thinking people. So, so I want to avoid that. How can I avoid falling for bad advice? First, talk to God about it. James tells us if anyone lacks wisdom, let him ask. Later, James says, you don't have because you don't ask. If you're trying to figure out how to be wise and how to make sure that the advice you're getting is godly advice, then how about you talk to God to find out if it's godly? We start by talking to God about it, then we listen to God. How do you know if the advice you're getting is good, godly advice? First, talk to him. Say, God, teach me, show me, lead me, guide me, talk to me. And then listen to God. How do I do that? I know how to talk to him. We call that prayer. But how do I listen to him? Well, His word is called that on purpose. His word is him speaking to us. And so Psalm 119 says, Thy word have I hidden in my heart that I might not sin against thee, because your word is a light unto my path and a lamp unto my way. This is how I hear from him. He'll guide me. And so when that advisor says something to me, I'm first going to say, God, give me wisdom. Is that right? Does that, is that the way you want me to be? And then I'm going to go to his word and I'm going to see, does that advice line up with the things I know to be true, that things I know come from God? And then thirdly, I'm going to double check with God's people. How do I know that the advice I'm getting is good, godly advice? First, I'm going to talk to him then I'm going to listen to him, and then I'm going to double check with godly people. I'm going to make sure that I go to folks that I know are solid and growing in their faith. I know they trust in him. I know they they pray. I know that they're solid disciples. I'm going to go double check with God's people. Proverbs 28 at verse 26 
says, whoever trusts in his own mind is a fool, but he who walks in wisdom will be delivered. You trust in your own mind, you're going to make a mistake. So instead of, instead of making that mistake, blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the wicked. Instead, I'm going to depend on godly counsel. So I'm going to talk to him, I'm going to listen to him, and I'm going to double check with his people. Proverbs 13 and 20 reminds us as well that whoever walks with the wise becomes wise. You see that word walks? That's what we're talking about in this verse, that, the, that whoever walks with the wise becomes wise, but the companion of fools will suffer harm. Get your advice from the right people. What happy people avoid, first, they avoid worldly counsel. Second, they avoid sinful companions. Notice it says, blessed is a man who walks not in the counsel of the wicked, nor stands in the way of sinners. We've moved from walking to standing. Walking means I'm living, and as I'm living, I'm listening to the advice around me. But now we've moved from walking to standing. This means now I'm not just walking with these people and getting their advice. Now I'm standing with them. I'm hanging out with them. Walk describes our conduct while standing describes our character. The people you hang out with do define to some degree who you are. And so this says happy is the person who doesn't take worldly counsel. Happy is the person who doesn't hang out with sinful companions one of the most troubling phrases in all of scripture five words that haunt me as every time i think of them one of the most troubling passages in the entire bible is second samuel 13 and 3 the beginning of that verse but amnon had a friend See, Amnon was King David's son, and Amnon would have been the heir of the throne. He would one day be the king of all Israel. But Amnon had a friend. Amnon would have and could have been a great godly leader of the entire nation of God's chosen people, but Amnon had a friend. And because he hung out with this friend, who was actually a cousin, because they hung out together. Amnon listened to the wrong guy. And because of the company he kept, his character began to erode. And because Amnon had a friend, Amnon wound up raping his own half-sister. Amnon wound up having to run for his life. Amnon wound up dead, and the brother who killed him wound up dead and the man that could have and should have inherited the throne of the king of Israel destroyed a family because Amnon had a friend. Happy is the person who avoids worldly counsel and avoids sinful companions. Does that mean that we never talk to a non-believer? that we never 
never speak to sinful people? Absolutely not. You know better than that. What it means is we don't park there. We, as we walk, we don't, we pay, we're careful who we get advice from. And when it's time to stand, to hang out, we choose very carefully who we're standing with, who we're hanging out with. What happy people avoid? Worldly counsel, sinful companions, and negative environments. Happy people just avoid negative environments. Look at this. Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the wicked, nor stands in the way of the sinners, nor sits in the seat of scoffers. You see how we've moved? We were walking, then we were standing, now we're sitting. To sit in this context, to sit in the seat, is to, is to be a part of the group that is advising others that is setting the tone for the community. And he says, happy are you if you choose not to sit at that table. Sometimes, folks, we have to listen to the conversation at the table at, at, at the bakery and say, you know what, this isn't for me. Sometimes we have to listen to the conversation in the Sunday school class and say, you know what, guys, this is not who we are. Sometimes we have to, in our life group, say, hey, folks, we've got better life than this. We can do better than this. We don't have to be negative. Because the, the happy person chooses not to sit in the seat of the scoffers. Did you know unhappy people like to share their unhappiness? They're very generous with their unhappiness. They want to spread it. And that stuff spreads very quickly. Scoffers, complainers, negative talkers, negative people find each other. And they would love to include you in the group. And at first it feels good because you feel like you fit in. And if you're in the group, then you're safe because you know they're not talking about you if you're there. And so it feels very natural just to join in. But don't fool yourself. What do you think they're talking about when you don't show up? Listen to me. If they will gossip with you, they will gossip about you. The happy person figures out that I am going to avoid worldly counsel. I'm going to avoid sinful companions in negative environments. That's what happy people don't do. What do happy people do? Let, let's take a moment and look at what happy people do. Verse 2, but his delight is in the law of the Lord, and on his law he meditates day and night. We, we've seen how happy people know what to say no to, what to avoid. And then what is it that happy people do that makes them happy? Where does that happiness, that joy, that blessedness come from? Well, they know what to delight in. He, he, he says, but his delight is in the law of the Lord. Now, would you say this morning that you delight in the word or would you have to say it's a duty 
It's what good people do, so I read it because that's what I'm supposed to do. Or do you delight in it? Listen, if you're not to the place where you delight in the Word, I'm not here to beat you up, and don't you beat yourself up either. You are where most of us are. But I will tell you this as well, that you can ask God to change your appetite. Go to God and say, God, I want to want to read your word. I I don't want to just read your word. I want to want to read your word. God, change my appetite. Give me a hunger and a thirst for it. Let me delight in this. And if you'll start praying that way, and then you start spending time in his word, your desire for it, your delight in it will eventually grow. The psalmist says in Psalm 34 at verse 8, taste and see that the Lord is good. Blessed, happy is the man who takes refuge in him. Just taste it and see. Just allow God to start changing your appetite. God, let me learn to delight in your word. And then you start spending time there. And the more time you spend in it, the more that delight, that desire will grow. I grew up on sweet tea. I am, have always been good southern boy. Sweet tea. But you know, just a couple of years back, when I realized that nothing fits anymore, I, had, I decided that I was going to learn to drink unsweet tea. I have even started drinking Dr. Pepper Zero instead of real Dr. Pepper most of the time. But you know, now... I actually prefer unsweet tea. Sweet tea is just too sweet. It's just, it's not right. Why? Because over time, I was able to retrain my taste buds. You don't have a delight for the word yet. That's understandable, but let's change that. Don't beat yourself up. Don't feel guilty. Just just work on change. Ask God, God, give me a want to. And then start spending time in it. Because as you spend time in it, your taste buds change. Your appetite grows. And you begin to have that delight in his word. What do happy people do? They delight in his word and they meditate on his word. Look, it says, but his delight is in the law of the Lord. And on his law, he meditates day and night. So we're not just going to read it so we can read it. We're not just going to check off that little square on the offering envelope I read my Bible daily. But instead, we're going to, we're going to let the Word seep in. We're going to meditate on it. I'm not just going to go through and read. So a few weeks ago, as we were ending the worship service, I hadn't planned it, but as we were ending, I just mentioned to you a reading plan that I have found very helpful. And I just kind of threw that out there at the last minute as we were leaving. But since then, I've had three or four people ask me to review that. So let me just remind you a reading plan that I have found very helpful. Start in the book of John. If you start in Genesis, you try to read Genesis to Rev, you're going to get confused. 
Start in John. John is the story of Jesus. It's the story of creation all the way through the, the life of Jesus, and it points us to the return of Jesus. John, start with the Gospel of John. Then go back and pick up the other three Gospels, Matthew, Mark, and Luke. Now that you've got those four down, you have a full understanding of the life of Jesus. That's what those four Bibles teach, the Gospel, the, the, the story of Jesus. Now that you've got those down, move on to see how the church was born and how it was formed. So you move on to the book of Acts and the rest of the New Testament, which is basically letters that were written to a young church. All right? So we're going to start with John, the other three Gospels, then move on to Acts and the rest of the New Testament except Revelation. I'm going to stop before I get to Revelation. Then I'm going to go back and I'm going to read the Old Testament. Because, believe it or not, Revelation is heavily founded in the Old Testament. It refers often to scriptures and illusions from the Old Testament that you need to be familiar with before you'll understand it. Gospels, Acts, letters, the rest of the New Testament. Old Testament then revelation how much do you read each day you read until god says something to you some days that's one verse i sit down and i read john 1 1 and wow the word oh my gosh the word is god jesus is god the word was made by god he is this is amazing one verse was enough that god spoke to my heart i stop that's enough now all day long i'm going to chew on that I'm going to think on it. That is meditating on it. Some days I may have to read two chapters, three chapters, because God wants me to get a fuller understanding. Maybe, maybe it may take me a very small book before God speaks to me. But when I get that one thought that I can hold on to and meditate all day, I've got my reading for the day. I'm ready to set, the, set aside the words on the page, and then I'm ready to meditate on it, to work on it all day long. That word for meditate comes from the same word that refers to the cow chewing the cud. I'm going to get that thought, and I'm going to chew on it all day long. I'm going to meditate day and night. It is when I learn. When, a de, when I have a desire, a delight for his word, and I meditate on his word all day long, I wind up becoming one of those blessed people, one of those happy people. Understand when we talk about meditation, this is not the transcendental meditation introduced by the uh, Maharashi in the late 50s, popularized by the uh, uh, Beatles and the Beach Boys in the 60s and 70s, that form of meditation is supposed to empty your mind and get you beyond thought. This instead is supposed to fill your mind with the thoughts of God. What do happy people do? Delight in His Word, meditate on His Word day and night. So what, what is a happy person like? We've seen what, what the happy person doesn't do. We've seen what the happy person does. So ha what happens in that person's life? What is a happy person like? Verse 3, he is like a tree planted by streams of water. 
yields its fruit in its season, and its leaf does not wither. Not a potted plant that can be moved around, but this is a tree firmly planted by the stream so that its roots go deep underground, and those roots get to the stream, and they have a a constant source of life. They have a, 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 a permanent IV of water through those roots. The happy person, the blessed person, is the one who has found that delight in his word and the one who meditates on his word, and that then becomes like streams of water, and he is a tree firmly planted. And that tree that is firmly planted is able to bear fruit. He's like a tree planted by the streams, yields its fruit in its season. To bear fruit means to, means to produce something means to have a meaningful life, a purposeful life, to accomplish good. And notice as well that it says that he'll bear fruit in its season. In other words, when you first start reading the Word and meditating on the Word and you start living the the blessed life, you may not notice fruit right away. You may not see that that production, uh, that, that, that meaningful purpose yet, because fruit comes in its season. So God may use some time to develop you and strengthen you and get those roots down good and deep, but in your season, you'll begin to see that fruit, that production. Your life will become meaningful and purposeful. Whether the fruit is there or not, notice that the leaf does not wither. This person connected to God through his word, this blessed man who is solid, not listening to the advice of the world, not hanging out with, the, with, with sinful people who will direct him in the wrong way, not, not being a part of negative environments, settling into God's word and letting his word direct his life. This is the person who experiences healthy living all the time. The leaf does not wither. For that matter, in all he does, he prospers. He is able to, uh, to, to be productive. Here, prosper is not talking about material wealth. I know the guy on TV told you that, but that's not what it's talking about. He prospers. He continues to bear fruit, to be productive, have a meaningful, full life. And so John 15, 5 is our theme verse for our church Look, I'm the vine, you're the branches. Whoever abides in me, whoever is planted solid in me by taking delight and meditating on my word, whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. And then again, in, in a couple of verses later in John 15 at 8, it says, By this my Father is glorified that you bear much fruit and so prove to be his disciples. Your life begins to be productive. You know, people call me a lot of different things. Some of them I can repeat for you. Some people call me reverend. Some people call me pastor. Some people call me doctor. Some people call me brother. And since we live in a Catholic community, a lot of people call me Father. When I get to go to heaven, though, you know God's not going to call me any of those names. When he sees me, he doesn't see the right reverend doctor. 
He's not going to call me brother. I just hope I get to hear him call me servant. Imagine the joy of hearing the master say, well done, good and faithful servant. You were planted. You produced fruit. You done good. Verse 4 is that contrast that we talked about. Verse 3, this is what the blessed person looks like, like a tree firmly planted. But the wicked, verse 4, are not so. They are like chaff in the wind. The wind drives it away. You know what chaff is? They take that wheat, they get the wheat in, and then they beat up the wheat for a while. They just beat it up so that it all gets broken into pieces and, and parts and stuff. And then they take that wheat and they throw it up in the air. And when they throw it up in the air, the actual grain is going to fall. As the grain falls, the wind is going to blow away all the stuff, the junk that is not the grain that they want. And he says the wicked in this world, those who are not following God's way, those who are rejecting God's path, they're like the chaff. They're just going to get blown with the wind. Culture is going to tell them what to think. Popularity, social media is going to dictate their thoughts and their opinions and their political correctness is going to dictate to the wind is going to blow them back and forth but blessed is the one who is like the tree firmly planted my time is up so i've got to quit verse five therefore the wicked will not stand in the judgment nor sinners in the congregation of the righteous for the lord knows the way of the righteous but the way of the wicked will perish Simply put, there's that final contrast. Blessed is the man, the person, who puts his life in connection with God, who delights in his word, who follows him. There is blessing there in that stability like a tree. But the wicked, those who reject God, they get blown like the wind, like the chaff in the wind. So the way of happiness... Verse 6, the Lord knows the way of the righteous. The way of happiness presented to us in those last two verses. Say, when we connect to him, delight in what he has to say. Build our lives on it. Then he knows our way. And he's going to get us all the way home. When we trust in him, in the person that he sent in Jesus Christ, build our lives on that foundation, he's going to get us all the way home. One of the greatest inventions in my lifetime is GPS inside my phone. Don't have a clue where I'm going. Half the time, I don't have a clue where I am. And I can say, Siri, Take me home. And Siri says, turn left, turn right, go this way, go that way. And Siri makes sure I get home. And you know one of the things that happens a lot? I'm stuck in the traffic and the, and the traffic is flowing and my exit's there and I can't get off at the right exit. Or I'm thinking about something else. I'm not paying attention. I drive right past my exit. And Siri says, hey, make a U-turn. I am so glad that I can stand before you today and tell you from personal experience 
that God affirms U-turns. You went the wrong way. You got distracted. You listened to the wrong voice. You headed in the wrong direction. God says, hey, make a U-turn. Come back. Let's get you firmly planted in a relationship with Jesus Christ. Delight in my word. Meditate on it. Let it direct your path. And you're going to wind up being happy. Dear God.